Every life needs a purpose to which it can give the energies of its mind and the enthusiasm of its heart. Hello all, and welcome to A Victorious Life is Yours. There is a place here reserved just for you to be inspired, uplifted, encouraged, and strengthened in your daily walk of life in every area of your life, spirit, mind, and body. I'm Renee Marie Jones, your host, and I love and live to empower people to make a difference in their own lives as well as everyone that they come into contact with. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's get started, Victorious Ones. Some years ago, I did a study to take a look at what the last seven days of Jesus' life on earth were like. I wanted to try to visualize, perhaps even experience for a moment, and walk the path that his feet walked on the road to Calvary, his destination and the purpose for which he was born. So for the next eight days, we're going to take each day and count down to Calvary. Well, happy Thursday, Victorious Ones. I hope you all are enjoying this day thus far, and I hope that you are excited about continuing on our journey as we count down to Calvary. Well, this is day number five. This is Thursday, and we are going to look at the special day as we're getting closer and closer to the end of Jesus's journey. We're going to look at two passages or two texts today in our journey on Passover. We're going to look at Luke chapter 22 and Mark chapter 14. So if you would, you can flip over to Mark chapter 14 and we're going to start at verse 26. So you can put your finger there and then flip back over to Luke chapter 22 and we're going to start with verse one. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. Then he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So in these first six verses, this actually happened on Wednesday, because remember, as uh, we looked at on Wednesday, we saw that Jesus, as he was uh, with his disciples, there was the anointing of Jesus by Mary, the uh, sister of Lazarus and Martha. And then it was also at this time that Judas Iscariot chose to go out to go to Jesus's uh, enemies, the elders and the scribes of the day and agree that he would be the one to turn them over. So they set up a deal. So this is what these first, the first six verses of Luke chapter 22 is referring to. So this was Wednesday. Okay. So now 
in verse seven, it says, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So now we are on Thursday. Verse eight says, and he sent, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want to prepare? And he said, behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it as he had said, and they prepared the Passover. So Jesus gave uh, an assignment to Peter and John, and that was to go and uh, find the room that he evidently had already uh, had paid for and uh, had made ready or reserved the room, actually reserved the room. He wanted them to go and find that room so that they could prepare for the Passover. And again, Jesus is very specific. And I always love to read about uh, Jesus as he gives instructions to the disciples. And it, it always, uh, I'm always curious to see the response of the disciples and how they responded. So here again, we see Peter and John receiving the instructions. They only asked him one question, and he said, you will see a man. Now, the interesting thing about this is that he said, you will see a man. He didn't give the uh, description of the man. He didn't give the name of the man. He just said, you, when you enter the city, you will find a man and he will be carrying a pitcher of water. Now that would be sticking out like a sore thumb because traditionally women were the ones who drew water. So if they were to see a man carrying water, that would that had to have been the man that Jesus was referring to. So this was a clear sign for them, but they had to be very observant in order to see this. And so they followed his instructions to the T. 13 says, so they went and found it just as he said, and they prepared the Passover. It's important for us, and we mentioned and talked about this before, how important it is to follow those instructions that God gives us. We don't know uh, specifics, but God doesn't always give us specifics, but what he does give us, it's up to us to take it and follow it to the letter. So now that takes us to verse 14. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. So each year the Passover feast was celebrated in remembrance of the great event that happened back in Exodus chapter 12. When we read Exodus chapter 12, it is the account of the Passover and how it was instituted and what the significance of it was. Now, I'm not going to read all of Exodus 12. I do encourage you to go back in your own private time, but I do want to look at a little bit of Exodus chapter 12. So let's flip over there, hold your finger in Luke, and let's go to the left and to Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to start at verse one. It says, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th day of this month, 
Every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to to his house, take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. So on the 10th day of this particular month, they were to take a lamb. And if for some reason the household was too small, if it was a small household, maybe just the mother, the father, and maybe two children, and the neighbor next to them, uh, had a small number as well they could combine and between the two households they could just use the one lamb then he's specific verse 5 your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year you may take it from either the sheep or from the goats so this is called the paschal lamb paschal meaning passover so this lamb had a specific purpose now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Hmm. So they were to secure the lamb on the 10th of the month, hold the lamb for four days, feed it. You know, can you just imagine, you know, especially if they're children in the home, that they probably became fond of this lamb and became close to this lamb and Probably it almost became as a pet for them. But then that was short lived because four days later, that same lamb that they had become close to, perhaps, was to be killed as a sacrifice. And that lamb was to be without blemish. It was to be a male and it only was to be a year old. And it could be either a sheep or a goat. Verse seven, you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. So when you think of the door, a doorway, okay, so you have the two posts on the side of the door, and then the lintel is that beam, that wooden beam on the top that, that goes horizontally. And the doorposts, of course, are the two vertical beams. And so they were to take the blood and smear it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the house that they were eating thus the meal in verse eight then you shall eat the flesh on that night roast it now that's key that is key roast it in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it so let's pause for a minute and look at this meal so the meal was going to consist of roasted lamb unleavened bread which was called matzah and bitter herbs. So typically we know, well, maybe some of you may know, I'm not a baker, but for those of you that are, you know that, it, that you have to, in order for bread to rise, you put leaven into it and or yeast, and yeast causes the bread to rise. But they were not supposed to use any yeast. They were only to prepare it as unleavened bread without the yeast without the rising factor so here is the lamb that's roasted with fire the pastel lamb specific preparation for that lamb and the unleavened bread the matzah and then it was also the third uh, food item were the bitter herbs 
Now, the bitter herbs were a mixture of lettuce, uh, endive, roots, peppermint, and dandelion. So when you think about that, roots, peppermint, dandelion, this is a, bit, a bitter mixture, a bitter mixture. So you had bitter herbs, and that's what it says, bitter herbs. So they were to roast the lamb with the bitter herbs, and the roasted lamb was the central item, the central food item. And it was to remind them of the spotless lamb and the blood that was spilled on and, sp and spread on the doorposts of the homes. The bitter herbs were to remind them of the bitter slavery that they were about to come out of. 400 years of slavery. So each one of these food items had its significance. The spotless lamb, the bitter herbs for the bitter slavery, and the unleavened bread. What did that symbolize? The unleavened bread symbolized the weight of sin. Leaven rises and causes bread to rise, but without leaven, without sin, is where God wants us to be. He provided a way for us to be without sin through the sacrifice. So the disciples had to eat unleavened bread because it was a reminder of how quickly, because it, it, it takes bread time to rise, but they were didn't have time for that bread to rise. They were to leave quickly. Let's look at verse nine. Do not eat it, talking about the meat. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roast it with fire, its head with its leg and its entrails or the vital organs. You shall let none of it remain until morning and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so shall you eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. God's, each one of the plagues was an affront to the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Now the blood, verse 13, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now it's interesting that plague is mentioned because we don't really know all we know and, and that the death angel passed over. The death angel came, but the death angel would pass over the houses of the Hebrews that had the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. But it's this plague. So we don't really know what killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. And not only was it the firstborn of the human, of the people, but it was also the firstborn of livestock, their livestock as well. I thought that was interesting. Verse 14 says, so this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast for an everlasting ordinance. Okay, and I'm going to stop there because, again, I want you to read uh, the, this account for yourselves. But this is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread because it's talking about the bread and it's also talking about the meal. 
the the meat as well as the bitter herbs and the significance of when we get to verse 21 in exodus chapter 12 verse 21 then we get into the more specifics of the passover itself so the term for this this time and here's a quick aside passover this year will begin or actually began wednesday evening and it will extend or continue for seven days until April the 16th, Thursday. Okay, so that's Passover. And that's what it goes on to say that it continues for seven days. It says in verse 19, for seven days, no leaven shall be found in your household. So this was a significant uh, holiday. This was a special day. This was a time for remembrance for the Jews to remember what happened. And it was a solemn remembrance. Uh, when we look at chapter 12, verse 42, and I will, I do want to read that. It says, it is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. So here we are generations later with Jesus and his disciples who were celebrating the Passover. And this is what was taking place in that upper room that Jesus had reserved specifically for this occasion. This was also to be the last supper. And this is how we get the last supper. This was the last meal that Jesus was going to have with his disciples. Okay, flip back over to Luke chapter 22. And let's look at verse 14. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this cup and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So you can imagine the disciples hearing these words. Now this was, they, they had been with Jesus for three years. So they had experienced and participated in three Passovers with him, but this was different language. This was a different time. Something was different about this particular Passover meal because Jesus was speaking words to them that he had never spoken before. Take this cup and drink of it. And I won't drink of this cup again until I drink into the, with the, in the kingdom of God. And I want you to remember this and remember me and foreign words, foreign language. You can imagine the, the questions that they had in their mind. What is going on here? So then in verse 19, it says, and he took bread, gave thanks again. That's the unleavened bread, the matzah. He took the matzah, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus takes the bread. 
He bows his head and prays over the bread and then he breaks it and he gives the bread to the disciples. The second thing that he does is he takes the cup. But what is the significance of the bread? The bread, notice that he gave thanks for the bread and then he broke it and then he gave it to them. The bread symbolized and pointed to his body. Now, theologians, some theologians have believed and have spoken about how there's certain groups in the body of Christ who believe that the bread actually became the Lord's body when it entered the mouth of the believer. And some believed that it became the body of Christ when the priest stands before the people and breaks the bread. But we know that the bread was representative of or a symbol of his body. So Jesus was already pointing to a few days down the road, but did his disciples get it? No, they didn't understand. They didn't know what he was talking about. That moment was a perplexing moment for them. Now, that flat, brittle loaf of bread that he told his disciples to eat was to remind us of his body. When we look at the cup in verse 19, he says, take the cup and drink of it. The contents of the cup was wine. Now, tradition have put a great importance on the particular cup. There was even a movie not too long ago, probably several movies that uh, we're talking about. And the movie was about them going in this quest, trying to find the cup. But the cup was just a plain, simple everyday vessel, an earthen vessel that was several, that, that was used and filled with wine that they drank from. No significance in, on the cup. Verse 21, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table and truly the son of man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Then they begin to question among themselves saying, which one of them was it who would do this thing? Then the conversation switches. They really weren't paying too much attention to what Jesus was trying to speak to them and say to them and teach them because we read in 24 that a rivalry brewed up among them. And the argument was over who was going to be the greatest. So Jesus, again, a teaching moment, says in 25, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them I call benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, who he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Another thing happened that was significant at this table. And remember, as we talked about the table, we talked about the table before. It wasn't a table as we know it. This was a low table and there were cushions or pallets on the floor that the um, disciples laid on as they were eating. So another discussion comes up. Another revelation comes up at the table in verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, 
the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny me three times. The rooster will not crow before you will deny me three times. This was the same Peter, remember, who gave the revelation of who he was when he said, well, men say that I am John the Baptist and men say that I am this person and men say that I am that person, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And now we see, see this same Peter who said, Lord, I am willing to go to prison and even to die for you and with you. But Jesus said, before the cock crows or the rooster crows this day, you will deny me. So this day, so we're looking at uh, about midnight. This is Thursday because they went and prepared the room early Thursday evening and they had a late evening. When we look at the, the days of the, um, the, the Christian time then the the nights in particular were in three watches you had the evening that started from six to nine they were in the hours of three so you had the first watch which was from six to nine the second watch p.m which was from 9 p.m to midnight the third watch was from midnight to three in the morning and the fourth watch was from three in the morning until six in the morning so this meal took place it was probably about midnight one o'clock between midnight and one o'clock in the morning. Okay, talking about a late night supper. This was a late night supper. So Jesus said that this day you will deny me before the rooster crows and you will deny me not one time, not twice, but thrice. Verse 39. Well, we're going to stop it there. Let's flip over to Mark. This is when we go to Mark, Mark chapter 14. So let's go to Mark. We're going to go back to the left. Mark chapter 14. And we're going to start at uh, verse 26. So after the meal, it says that they sung a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night or again, remember, it's early morning between maybe midnight and one o'clock in the morning because you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's from Zechariah chapter 13, verse seven. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So they all charmed in, chimed in when Peter said, Lord, I will never deny you. I will die first. And, and then James said, that's right, Lord, me too. And John said, oh, I agree. I won't, I won't deny you. And Luke said, God, I will not deny you. Lord, I will not deny you. So they came to a place in verse 32, which was called Gethsemane. Now, um, Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives really wasn't a mountain. It was more of a hill area, not too far from Jerusalem. It was about 15, 20 minute walk from 
the city of Jerusalem. And within the Mount of Olives, it was a grove of olives where olive trees were. There was a particular garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus was very, very familiar with this garden because this is the place that he often retreated to. Gethsemane is a Hebrew word and it means oil press. So think on that. So evidently there was a press that was in the area where they uh, pressed olives for the oil. But it was here that Jesus often went to in seclusion and to pray. His disciples must have arrived there with him. And again, between midnight and about one o'clock in the morning. And then it says he took verse 33. He took Peter, James and John with him and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. So he took all of the disciples and they stopped at a particular place and he said to them, sit here while I pray. But then they went deeper into the garden with Peter, James and John. And he said, I begin to be troubled and deeply distressed. It's interesting that we really get to see the humanity of Christ here as he talks about what he's experiencing. Think on it. He knows what is before him and horrific death painful beyond human comprehension and this is what was before him he said that my soul is deeply exceedingly sorrowful even to death so stay here and watch verse 34 very distressed and troubled the the, the word troubled indicates to us ill at ease and filled with unrest uncomfortable and that at that moment we see his feelings coming to bear on him. And he did not hide his feelings from Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were considered his inner circle. But he was very transparent and very open with his feelings. You know, it's a blessing when God gives us people that we don't have to always be strong for, that we can and we trust them enough. And because of the relationship, we can let them know how we really feel. We can express how we really feel to them. And so Jesus felt comfortable in expressing this feeling to his close friends. We read in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, centuries earlier, where we see that Jesus was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. How much more of a picture do we see the grief that came upon him as he was in the garden the night before, hours before his death? Verse 35 says, he went a little farther and he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible, yet for you, are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Abba. Abba was a, a, a intimate and a... Uh, familiar term that was used. It was Aramaic, Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus spoke. And it was a term of endearment, probably equivalent to our term of daddy. And Jesus was basically saying, daddy, if it's possible, father, let this agony that I'm facing, let it pass. Again, we see and hear the humanity of the son of God who came to the earth as flesh. He was God in flesh. He was human. The Gospel of Mark is often called the Son of Man, the depiction of the Son of Man, because it was here. Now, Mark was not an eyewitness. His account came from Peter. 
But Mark shows us in his account, in his gospel, the humanness of our Savior and Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So he went away and he prayed and he found them sleeping. And he says, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Look at how Jesus singled Simon out. Because remember, it was just hours before, maybe one hour before, if that, that Simon Peter said, Lord, I will never forsake you. And here, when he had a chance to be praying for him, he was fast asleep. He says in verse 38, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. We can say a lot of words when we are not confronted with adversity or obstacles, when everything is fine. But the minute that we are confronted or the minute when an obstacle, obstacle comes before us or when we are faced with tragedy or faced with persecution, faced with a test or a trial, our spirit is willing, but our flesh may say and do just the opposite of what our spirit is saying. It says in verse 39, again, he went away and he prayed. Again, he went away and he prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them sleep again for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up and let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. I don't know about you, but I can count the number of times that I said, Lord, I will always be and do what you desire me to until something happens. And then I begin to question, do I really trust God? Do I really believe what God is saying? But Jesus, as he prayed in the garden, and I love this account because it said he went a little further and he prayed. He went a little further and he prayed. He went a little further and he prayed. This was, as we know, the passion. The passion of Christ took place between the Lord's Supper, the Supper, and the crucifixion. This was a, a passionate time, a painful and agonizing time. But he kept coming before the Father. He kept seeking the Father's face, as we should in those agonizing times, in those times when we are indecisive, in those times when we are faced with tragedies and we don't know where to turn to or what to do. We are to keep seeking God's face. Verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he came, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus answered and said, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching. 
and you did not take me, but the scripture must be filled, be fulfilled. This is a reminder to us that they didn't take Jesus by surprise. They weren't supposed to arrest him. They weren't supposed to take him until this appointed time. Then they all forsook him and fled. Look at verse 50. But were these not the same people that back a few hours ago said, Lord, we will never forsake you. We will never leave you. We will always be with you. It said they all forsook him and fled. This same group of people. So it wasn't just Peter. They all. Again, think on the times when we did forsake the Lord. We thought we were with him and we said that we would be with him. But when things turned the other way and turned against our favor instead of in our favor, we went in the opposite direction. It says, now a certain young man followed him having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body and the young men laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked History tells us that this possibly was the Apostle John, because in his account, he writes something about this. So the scene is now Jesus is alone. The disciples have left. The very ones that said they would not leave him have left him. And he's led away in verse 53 to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they found none for many bore false witnesses against him. But their testimonies did not agree. And some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And within three days, I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. So even the people who sought false testimonies against him, their testimonies didn't even agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But look at verse 61, Jesus' response. But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said, Are you the cross, the son, Christ, the son of the living God, the son of the blessed? Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be worthy of death. Then some priests began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, 
This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter, You are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man who you speak. And the second time the rooster crowed. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you shall deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Let's look at Luke chapter 22, verse 60. Luke chapter 22. Verse 60. Luke 22, verse 60. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Look at verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. This account closes at about three o'clock in the morning. Jesus has now been taken into custody of his enemies. He's standing in the home of the high priest and the only disciple that was willing to follow him was Peter but he stood afar off and when given the opportunity to attest to the fact that he was one of his he denied him just as Jesus said that he would this was the same person that said Lord I will never deny you he said I will follow you even unto death but this was a different account and this was a different response this was Peter's darkest hour because he remembered what Jesus had said he remembered the way that Jesus looked at him because it said Jesus turned to look at him and I often wonder what kind of look did Jesus give him was it a look of disgust was it a look of anger no, I believe it was a look of sorrow and a look of hurt and pain because this was a close friend of Jesus. He was a part of his inner circle. He was the one that said, I would never leave you and that I would never forsake you. But yet in the midst of hostility and in the midst of possible danger to his own life, he denied him. How many times have we denied the Lord? We may be thinking, I've never denied him, but if you really critically look at your, your life and your response, you can probably think of a time or two when you did, when you pretended that you didn't know him, when you had an opportunity or a chance to say something about Jesus or even to come to his defense, but you chose not to. The thing that was interesting about Peter is that it said that he denied him the first time and then the second time he began to curse and swear 
his whole language, his whole demeanor even changed. Now, the people recognized him as being a Galilean by the way he spoke. His speech was different. Our speech is different when we have walked away from Christ. You can tell by the way you speak, the words that come out of your mouth. You may not curse, but the words are not faith-filled words. The words may be filled with doubt. The words may be filled with hurt. The words may be filled with regret because after all, the disciples felt that Jesus was the answer to their problem, which was the Roman government. They knew he was going to bring about a new day, a new era. He was their deliverer, but now he's in the custody of their enemies. So all hope is gone. There are times when you might feel like all hope is gone because of the situations and the circumstances of life. You may begin to question your relationship with Christ. You may begin to question with question your commitment to him. Did I make the right choice in following him? Am I making the right choice? When Peter recognized what he had done, it said he wept bitterly. Let's pray. Father, we really have some things to look at as we look at this account of the Passover. We're grateful that Jesus became our Passover lamb. We're grateful that the blood that was shed for him allowed us to be passed over your judgment and the penalty of sin to, to pass over us. We thank you that he prayed, that he gave thanks for us. That even though his body was broken, he did it for us. But Lord, we have to also look at the situations and times when, and for some it may be even now, when we, because of what's going on in our lives, we've moved away from your presence. We have denied you either because we said we would do one thing and we went and did the opposite. Maybe we have faltered on our obligations and faltered on our commit commitment and faltered on our times of prayer and our times of fellowship with you. Maybe we have changed our language and the words that we're speaking are no longer faith-filled words, but they're filled with doubt and filled with unbelief. And maybe we're questioning our relationship with you because of what others are saying about you and their ridicule and their criticisms of us. But Lord, we know that you are the God that hears and answers prayers. We know that you went to the cross, even on this day, this Passover day, and during this Passover time for us now. And we don't really observe the Passover as the Jewish people do, but it has and holds significance for us. Let us solemnly think about how we were passed over and that you, in spite of our denials, in spite of our moving away from you, you've never moved away from us. Let us hold on to this time and let us remember the bitterness of the slavery to sin. Let us remember what it cost you 
to free us. Even now in those times and even those areas where we have gone back to in slavery, we ask that you forgive us as we break through, as we accept the Passover, your blood, as we accept your body that was broken for us. Let us remember Thanks for listening to A Victorious Life is Yours. Each week, I will cheer you on to cross your finish lines of victory. You can find me on social media and on my website, ReneeMarieJones.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and comment. Until the next time, Victorious Ones.